The next chapter with Prim Sarukapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week, I continue my conversation with former Duke and NBA player Gerald Henderson Jr. In the last episode, we talked about how he's adjusting to the retired athlete life and the slew of injuries that led up to his decision about retiring and how he finally made the decision to walk away. In part two of this interview, we dive a bit more into his familial dynamics and the influence of his parents with regards to his athletic career, particularly his father, Gerald Henderson Sr., who had a 13-year NBA career and won three NBA championships. And for all the sports parents out there, this is an episode you want to pay attention to because Gerald provides so much insight into how his father guided him as a young and developing athlete. And he did this by doing a lot of things, including exposing him to multiple sports at a young age, pushing Gerald to choose one sport, but not doing it at four or six or eight years old, but doing it later in life when Gerald was a teenager. And after Gerald chose basketball over golf, his father laid out this template, this blueprint for him about how to become not only a successful athlete, but a successful person in life by teaching him how to develop this phenomenal work ethic and how to create a plan of action towards his athletic goals and also how to deal with the pressure that comes with elite performance. Even in just re-listening to this portion of the interview, I learned so much and it sat very differently with me today now as a mother of two. So I hope you enjoy this portion of our conversation and without further ado, here's part two with Gerald. more of a future or did you love it more or did you think was it influenced or shaped at all by your dad's legacy um not as not as much because he he wanted me to do whichever one i wanted to do you know he left that open to me but really he'll tell you to this day i came to him i said yo golf's too hard man like it's it really is and at you know 14 i didn't have the kind of like um need for challenge as much as I do probably now, but like, you know, I knew how much easier basketball came for me. That's fine. You know, I could run and jump all day, you know, and be an impressive basketball player, but golf, like to stand out in golf, you, you have to be like a really special player because when you get like to the pro level or like really good golfer level, you're dealing with like half strokes, like, yes, it is a game of not just uh, not not even inches, yes, but millimeters. Millimeters. Yeah. So like, you know, this it, it was like just super tough, and I love to play it. But I was like, if I had to make a choice, I'm probably going to be an NBA player before I'm going to be a PGA Tour player. Like I just had that. That's funny that you say that because you were a good golfer, and mm-hmm. is it true that Tiger Woods? Yeah. Took a look at your game. Yeah. So he actually. I, I'll send the picture to you. You got the picture. I got the picture. Yeah. Um, at this point, and he's young at this point. He's yeah. Like Twenty something at that point when he came and looked at your game when you were fourteen, right? I was fourteen, so um, that was sixteen. That was seventeen years ago. So he's. Um, Fifty seventeen. He's forty-two or forty-three. Is he that young? Google. Maybe he's forty-four. So then, at that, so he was like twenty-something mm-hmm. when he looked at your game at mm-hmm. fourteen. He is. Um, uh, let's, let's pull it up, Wiki. Mm-hmm. Um, forty-three. Yeah, he's forty-three. So that was um, he was yeah. twenty, twenty, twenty-seven, twenty-six. Yeah. Yeah, and that he, that was that well, was Tiger Prime, and that was the reason why I asked how old he was because he was still so young, mm-hmm. but very aware because he said, "Yeah, Gerald is far ahead, 
way ahead of where I was at Shit. that age. I doubt that. Maybe, I think maybe he was like being like You think flattering. he was saying that? He didn't have to say that. He though. didn't have to. But um, I and remember. you still chose basketball after that. I did. I did. I mean, I just, uh, I love basketball. I couldn't see myself at that point, like not saying, okay, well, go to college and play basketball. And, you know, you're only going to play basketball if you're a pro. Like, if you play 10 years, like, you've had a great career, you know? Like, my dad played 13. It's, like, amazing, right? But you can play golf forever. Like, I'd be – I'd regret not trying to do the basketball thing. And, you know, because when I turned 30, 35, you're not going to play in the NBA anymore. At least right. you try it out. You know, if it don't work out, fine, I can go play golf. Did so. you have that perspective because of your dad? Because – even though he had a long career, yeah. for most of your childhood, you knew him as a retired player yeah. because you were really young when he retired. Yeah, right? I was, I was what, four or five years old when he retired. So I didn't really remember him playing. But, I mean, my dad's the type, like, you, you know, you, he's going to sit down and talk through things, think, like, logically about things and um, make a decision. But once you make your decision – then you like a hundred percent. So he's just like, okay, that's what you, that's what you want to do. Okay. Well, that's like I said, we're going to get the calendar out and we're going to push all the way forward and you're going to do everything that's on that calendar. So at the end of the week, you can say, this is the work that I did. Here's where we're at. Do we do less? Do we do more? Do we switch it up? Like, um, that's, you know, that's that's how my dad was. So I'm, I'm thankful for that because I very much am still, I, I still do that. I still, you know, it's not on a paper calendar, but yeah. it's on my iPhone. I try to, um, you know, write my week down. You know, if I got, if I want to, if I say I want to do yoga twice this week, like I make sure I put it in. Um, if it's meetings, if it's golf, whatever it is, I always put it down in a lot of the time. If it's family time. You know, I put that down, too, because that's just as important as that other stuff. So if not more important. So, um, you know, it's, it's just the way I at the time, I didn't think it'd be something that I thought that would stick. But it's always stuck. Being in and around the game, especially at the NBA level, are you able to make that distinction that having learning how to structure something and having that long-term vision mm -hmm. as a kid and for basketball and then later in life that you have an advantage of over other people or players. Yeah. If that makes sense, because I, I I've noticed that the one thing that athletes and retired athletes struggle with is that they are unable to find structure after sports. And honestly, it's something that I even struggled with. I consider myself, you know, after leaving ESPN, um, there are things that I want to do. And I want now with a family, I want more free time. I want flexibility. I want to be part of, um, I want to be part of a creative process and be my own boss. Mm -hmm. But that means that I'm not going to work for anybody else. I'm going to work for myself, which yeah. means that I have to create that structure. Right. And there was a good year where I really, really struggled with that mm -hmm. because you're not getting feedback from anybody. Sure. Sure. I, I, I'm kind of, I hit those days for sure. Like, now because you know you want to stay busy and you know you obviously there's you set goals for yourself and stuff but there's nothing like being around people every day and working and getting feedback from them or um you giving them feedback it's just that interaction uh is helpful like in a work environment um especially being on a team like there's nothing like that Right. That was one of the toughest things about coming back and playing is that I no longer have, uh, you know, 14 other guys in there with me, working with me. And even if they don't say a word to me in the gym, at least I see them working and it's pushing me to work. Or I see them in the weight room and I'm, you know, and it's just like a camaraderie that you just don't get by yourself. Um, that you miss. I've I missed the locker room. That's why I'm out at the golf course so much with the guys. Cause it's a, it's a fun thing, man. You're just out there talking smack, you're playing the game, you know, you may have a beer, like whatever you smoke a cigar. It's just like, it's fun. It's all the stuff that you would 
do on a basketball team. Um, Makes the cigar in the locker room. Right, right. Oh, but well, after the game. Room. Right, right, right. <laughs> but, but you know, it's it's all guy stuff. Yeah. You know, but you know, it's that was that was definitely when I was coming back from my hip surgery. That was the toughest thing. You're not getting the medical attention like you would like. Um, you know, when you're on a team, when you're on an NBA team, especially like the Sixers, uh, Trailblazers, whoever it is, like you're getting the best in the world. Like PTs, um, they're setting up everything for you. Like, I get, you know, now I got to make all my doctor's calls. I got to make all my PT calls. Um, you know, you're, you're really spoiled. You're really spoiled. Like, it's all the stuff that you get that you're just immediately don't get, right? And yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's life. It's what life is. Yeah. As a basketball player, you, the way you get treated, it's like, it's not life. It's not real life. No, it's um, especially coming from a Division One program and playing at a professional level. Like mm-hmm. you said, you just have all the resources in the world. Right. And even when you're trying to plan for the future, they even they're starting to have programs where they're helping players plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, Antonio Davis is starting to launch this transition program for players. The MBPA launched this mental health program. Mm-hmm. And I love I love about all that stuff. Um, trying to figure out which direction I want to go because I know what you mentioned about the schedule and, and that being a struggle for you, but I want to go back to your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, how much did it help you in terms of putting you in a position to play a sport at a high level, especially a sport that he played? How much did it help you? help you but how much of it was also kind of a curse as well because he sure. kind of knows too much about sure um I, I felt like i always had an advantage um because i had a, a model like to look at every day or ask questions or um you know him whatever he's implementing that you know as a parent that you never know your parents are actually doing at the time um and, and so I just feel like, you know, there's nothing like being able to go in the gym with a, a guy who's already, who's an expert at what you're trying, at what you're trying to do. Um, you know, at the same time, right, you, because he's an expert, right, um, sometimes you kind of resist it and you're, as a teenager, like you may be going through that stage anyways, where you're kind of rebellious or, you know, you want to start doing things your own way. So like, you know, my dad's not like a, he's not, he's not really going to be moved. He's like very stubborn, just like myself. (laughs) You know, he's like, like, nah, this is the way you do it, man. You didn't do it right. Do it over again. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, what are we talking about? Just do it over again. It's not going to work. If you want to make it to the NBA, that move's not going to work. It's not going to get you there. Like, he's did you just, have those conversations when you were older, or did it start when you were younger? What, like that kind of talk? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> eight years old. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So around, but when did you, when do you, what are your first memories of basketball? Like really playing? Um, Eight years old, like that eight. young. Yeah, I used to play. In I'm surprised it's like not three field. to four or five. Not really. I mean, I got a picture I could, I could show you that um, my dad was uh, playing for the Pistons at the time. They won the championship that year. Um, and I was sitting on my mom's lap or her lap or my dad's lap. And I had like a cookie, like a chocolate chip cookie <laughs> and a basketball in the other hand. Um, so well, I don't really like really remember playing at that age, but I, I definitely remember playing like at age eight and going forward. But um my dad's a straight shooter, man. He just like he'll tell you how it is. Yo, you play good, man. Or yo, you just no need of us coming back here, man. If you go play, like that. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pause because that's not what he said. Yeah, yeah you know, complete yeah. shit today. <laughs> right, 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 right. And he'll tell you that too. He'll tell it just like that. Um, but uh, I'm thankful for that because I that's kind of how I am. I think like my wife tells me like you need to like tone it down a little bit like you need to learn some finesse like sometimes but you can hurt people's feelings right feelings and yeah I, i'm i i understand feelings but you know yeah. but i feel like people should know the truth yeah like you should know the truth so like 
um, you know, as a kid, you know, he wasn't going to lie. He's like, if you're not, you're not playing good, you're not playing good. Or you need more work on this, right? Or, you know, you need to have a better attitude, right? And he was like one of those parents with like camera at the game. So like, oh, so he, he recorded you all right, the time. Right, right. He's like, if you, if you don't believe me, man, you can watch it yourself. Oh, man. So, yeah, we watch all my games. We watch all my games. And um, Wait, So where is the line drawn? Because there's this conversation in youth sports all the time. And I think it's typically coming from an Asian background. My parents um, both came here from Thailand at age 25. So in an Asian upbringing, they are very stern, mm-hmm. very strict, very structured, high expectations on everything that you do. And they are of the mindset, I mean, we, we hear it all the time, especially over in, in China, even where they have sports academies and mm-hmm. they are breeding kids sure. with the intent of like, they are going to be a basketball player before this kid's even born. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they were very adamant on shaping and pushing me mm-hmm. um, with the intent of like having me make some decisions. But then I think here in America, typically it's, ah, oh, just let the kid decide. Mm-hmm. So with your experience, what is the right or better solution? Yeah. Uh, I, I very much feel like you should let your kid decide what they're going to do. Now you can like steer them towards certain things. Um, you know, with me, I played all, all sports, you know, like I was just an athletic kid. Like I played baseball, wasn't particularly good at that. Like I could, I wasn't great at throwing. I wasn't great at hitting because I always played golf. So like I'd have like a golf swing that just like I couldn't flatten it out. <laughs> uh, I played soccer, which I love soccer. I love, I played soccer. I, I played soccer till I was probably like 12, 13 years old. Okay. And uh, then my dad finally was like, yo, he's like, keep it real with you, man. There's no like six three six four black soccer players. We're just not. We're just not going to do this anymore. He's oh like, God, you can you can play your basketball and play your golf, but we're not. I'm not spending any more money on on soccer. That's hilarious. And I probably wasn't. I probably have an inflated idea about how good I was, but I was just really fast and like physical and like, you know. So at 13, like you don't have to have incredible skill if you're just a really good athlete. Like right. you're going to be good. So yeah, we didn't play soccer anymore. Thanks I was I fought soccer. him for a little bit for that, but then I was like, I feel you, I feel you. <laughs> track, you did track. I did track in high school, um, which was fun. I hold like a, uh, I think it's the high jump record at my school at six seven. Oh, yeah. Yep, and um, did that, and um, yeah. But when I had when I had to make that decision to play golf or basketball. You know, like it was my decision. It was all my decision. And I and think did he make you make a decision. So for example, my I did I did everything as well. I was horrible at basketball. Um, I did swimming and track and music and all that stuff. But at twelve, it was between ballet and tennis. My parents were like, It's getting too much right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could be good at both or you could be they had that mindset of you or you could be great at one thing. Mm-hmm. So they they kind of came to me at 12. Mm-hmm. So did your dad want you to make a decision at 14? Yeah, because the commitment to them was like really big. Like in the summertime, AU basketball goes the whole summer. So, um, you know, you're either playing in a camp, you're on the road playing in a tournament, uh, or you're working out back home. So like, you know, you that's a full-time commitment. With golf, you got to hone your game like every day. It's just like basketball. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to hone your game every day. Like your touch and feel like you can lose that in a second. So, you know, the time commitment is just the same. So, you know, you couldn't, if I wanted to be really good at one, I couldn't play both. So, and I, I understood that because I saw that. I was like, well, dang, like I, I can't play in my tournament because we have an AAU tournament. So I saw that kind of conflict, and I I understood it. But then also, my dad wasn't gonna pay for <laughs> it; just wasn't happening. Not gonna happen. Nah, nah. Like he, you, you, we we can afford for you to do one of them all the time. So then pick one. So what do you say to families, especially nowadays, where AAU is starting much earlier, and even soccer and swimming and tennis? We were just having this dis- 
discussion, which ended up turning into a debate between my husband and I, and then also my brother and my sister-in-law, my two nieces are swimmers. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that the problem that a lot of kids run into is that everybody is specializing, specializing so early. And at seven, the school and also the travel team leads are now forcing kids to have to get involved in all of that. So what would, you know, if, if your girls play sports and they're getting the pressure and want to be with their friends at seven or eight and want to choose one sport, yeah. what are you going to do? Um, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. Uh, I, I think at like seven or eight, it's like really a young age to, to say like, you know, you, you're going to be at this every day. You're going to be committed to it. You're going to put this amount of hours in, which as you get older, like, yeah, you, I feel like you should be regiment like that. Mm-hmm. But at seven or eight, I feel like you need to learn how to just have fun and love love playing the game, whatever it is. Because if you don't ever learn that, I don't think you um, it's instilled in you to actually care about it. Like as you get older, like, oh, you're just doing this because either your parents want you to do it, you've always done it, or you know, some you know, somebody's telling you to do it. I I just think that you it won't, you won't last. You won't have a long lasting love for a game. If you don't learn how to love it when you're younger and just learn how to have fun with it to begin with. And then when it becomes serious, right, then it's not, it's not like a job. You're going to put the time in, but it's not, it's not like painstaking to do it. You know, you're going to, you're going to enjoy doing because you just love the game. That is so amazingly insightful. Of learning to love the game at a young age. Sure. I think in tennis, tennis is a weird sport where everybody starts very young and, mm-hmm. and starts training. By the time I was nine, I was training for eight hours a day. So it's no wonder that I got burned out sure. and then hated it like by the time I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so interesting because I think when I, you know, you get asked all the time about well, your dad and how long he played and all that stuff. And people might think that maybe there was more pressure on you to pursue basketball and be a really good basketball player. But it sounds like he really gave you the option and sure. some space to, to fall in love with the game before you chose it. Sure. I've never asked him like, which sport did he want me to play? You've never asked him that? I'm, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked him that, but just knowing him, he, he probably wanted me to play the sport that I felt I was going to be most committed to because mm-hmm. he's all about like, um, you know, you say something, you're going to do it. Like, just basic, fundamental, um, what do you call it? Fundamental commitment, char- commitment character, character. Yeah. Commitment, you know, like. But there's a lot of kids that don't understand that. They don't understand commitment. Right. Um, I, I know that. I know you coach a lot of basketball and have to do camps and everything. And I, I still coach tennis as well. And it's, um, it's an issue. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of kids don't understand what is required of them. Mm-hmm. You talk about like the preparation and the preparation with rehab and recovery. Yeah. I don't know what, what's happening with this younger generation, but they're that chapter, that lesson in the sports book, they're not learning that one. Well, I think, you know, I can't say how things are exactly different from like when we were growing up, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I, I think there's a balance of like your parents pushing you towards things and not like kids. Kids have like like sports are big time now, but like there's so many other things kids can be good at nowadays. Like forget sports, like just like you can become an expert at computers, and art and all these other things that like when I was a kid, like you were probably playing sport like mm. Even if you're, even if, even girls, like, you know, if they even want to be outside, like my, my sister, she wasn't like great at sports, but like she'd play every sport. She ended, she ended up not being a professional at any of them, but she wanted to play sports. You know, nowadays, like even my, even my girls, like they love gymnastics and cheer, but they still spend more than half of their time inside on an iPad or a phone. We try <laughs> to regulate as much as we can. Yeah but they got the TV, like, it's just idle time. You can't play sports all day. But, like, when I was younger, we were outside all day. My parents, my dad was like, yo, 
You're not going to be yelling and screaming inside. Go outside. Do not come back in. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just yes. how it was. No, it was. You know? It's like, you either, he's like, you either going to be inside or you're going to be outside. But you ain't going to do both. Like, so like <laughs> you know, just basic. I, by the way, I don't have a lot of interaction with your parents. But I did get to interact with them at the charity event. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love your, your mom is just, like, the sweetest. Yeah, she's, she's so sweet. Your dad is definitely the more stern one. I remember mm-hmm. we were preparing oh my for that list, and we had your entire list guest list of all the athletes that were there and were helping. Oh, you he's out. serious. And he was like, "Well, first he off, down the entire list, he's like, all right, here we go.' <laughs> and we're sitting in the hallway. He's like, Trent. <laughs> first off, like he shouldn't have even been doing that. Like he should just been enjoying the night. But he, he you know, he's got a a lot of his friends of that come to the." to the golf yeah. tournament, especially in Philly. So he didn't want to disclude anybody. Of course. No, I yeah. totally get it. I was totally cool with it. I just thought, but he did it in a way that was so like organized oh, and yeah. business oh, oriented, yeah, no but he was like, he was so sweet about it. He was yeah. both, your, your parents just seem like very big, very genuinely. Like, they are. Beautiful. They are. They are. I can definitely say that about my parents. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, 10 years later. Right. I'm thankful for them. My mom's, Always sweet. My dad's like the soft one in the family, right? Oh yeah. She kinda like when dad's just like hounding me at the gym <laughs> and we don't talk the whole ride home, you know, she's like, That's all right, come on, let me you know, I'll fix you some food. Like So would you guys have that so those moments when you that car ride home mm-hmm. I was just talking to the Seahawks sports psychologist, uh, Dr. Michael Gervais about just youth and parenting and all this. It's like the car ride home. Everybody knows about the car ride mm-hmm. home. But did you have a lot of those moments oh with your goodness. dad? Oh my goodness. I could sit here. We could go for another hour just telling you stories. Give so. me one story. I want to hear one story. Uh, Which one that you remember? That's, that's a like- funny one. That's a funny one. So I played in a golf tournament. I must have been 12 or 13 at the time. And I'm coming down the stretch. It's a one-day tournament, I think. And they put... You know, you play in these little tours, you know who the best players are. So if we have, you know, they would put the best players really like in the last group together. So all four of us are playing. We know each other's scores. So, you know, we're kind of keeping track because it's a one-day tournament. If, if you don't beat the guys in your group, you're not going to win. So, you know, you keep kind of keeping track of the other guys. And so I knew I was beating them going into like, you know, whole – 17 I think and I think we tied 17 and then we go into 18 and I hit a good drive hit my shot up there just over the green and you know I remember being I was pretty nervous like this you know it's like I'm 12 it's like the biggest thing that's happened so you know you gotta find you you don't know the right ways at the time to channel nervousness but I get up there like flubbed my chip and I like four putted, like it was, it was, it was a disgrace. <laughs> I, was, I still, cause then my, one of my best friends was playing too. And like, till this day, he'll still be like, yeah, man, well, you're a good golfer, but, uh, you know, never forget what happened. At, oh, uh, God. <laughs> 1980, 1990. Right, right. So, um, the ride home, silence, right. Silence. I can never, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And so, like right before you get to my house, there's like this parking lot, right? So, like I'm thankful to like almost be getting home, and then I feel the car slow down, <laughs> and like we pull over in the parking lot, and he goes, uh, he looks at me, he's like, "Son, do you even like to play golf?" <laughs> he's like, he's like, do you? I mean, from from like. How you like perform today? I I wouldn't know that you actually enjoy playing golf or that you put time into doing it because what you did today, son, was like it it, it was confusing, <laughs> right? Just did you like, say confusing. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's my dad's like a he's like <laughs> he's, he can say some little smart things and get you like to really get you under your skin. So. I remember having like you know a talk like yeah man like I just I messed up man what you want me to yeah. do and like he's like he's like look man he's like I know you messed up and that's all good but like I ain't gonna be paying a hundred dollars for these tournaments and driving an hour out for you to like four putt and lose the tournament like you there playing like get it done man like you put yourself in position to win like 
you can't be missing three footers. Like yeah. I missed like two, three footers in a row. I'm like, all right, like, you know, I'm a kid. I missed it. What you want me to do? And yeah. he's just like, so then I had school the next day. Usually I woke up at like, you know, 6.50, 7 o'clock for school. And he woke me up 6 o'clock. <laughs> and I, you know, like I set my alarm. I usually wake yeah. myself up at that age. He's like, come on, man. I was like, where are we going? He's like, just put your golf stuff on and let's go. So we go up to the country club. It's, you know, literally walking distance. And he puts out a few balls. He's like, you're going to make a hundred three footers in a row. If you miss, you start over. He's like, I don't care when you do it. You will be late to school. And I don't know if he really would have stuck by this. Yeah. It's like, you will be late to school. You're going to make a hundred of these in a row. No way. Man, I probably... That's like some, like... Do you oh. take a picture of Earl Woods? Like, oh, right, right, right. He probably, he probably did see that in one of their books or something. But so did you make... You didn't, I did it. You made a hundred... A hundred in a row. row. It's three footers. They're easy. But you know, like... No, but like a hundred in a row is crazy. Right. Did a hundred in a row. Because it always... I feel like it's just long enough where you... Your head starts sure. overthinking. But that's kind of like... And you're 99, you're like... Don't miss it. Right, right. But that's the pressure, like, that's the pressure from the day before that you probably, that you got to experience before you get to that moment. So, like, so little, you know, parts of the game. It's like pressure-free throws. Yeah. You, we go in the gym, and before I leave the gym, I have to make 10 free throws in a row. When you get to nine, and I'll never forget this, anybody who knows me or, or my dad, I always would say this, and, like, I'd make nine, and then he'd get the ball to pass it back. He'd be like, don't be a bum. Oh, that's what he said. That's what he said. Like, even when I work out as a pro, he'd be like, don't be a dad. bum. He's like one of those guys where everybody else, they love him yeah. because he's because you don't have to deal with him. Right, right, right. And everyone right. Like, y'all don't know, man. My mom is so cute. I'm like, that's because you don't live with her. Right. <laughs> we're, we're there 18 years growing up. Um, but, yeah, so, like, you know, it's just – he shaped your work ethic clearly oh, yeah. and your ability to deal with pressure and obviously helped you learn how to create structure and lead a successful career or really in anything. Mm-hmm. But what kind of advice did he have for you in terms of just turning the next chapter and mm-hmm. being over with sport? Well, I'm thankful for my parents because, you know, all the stuff growing up, but like the little small things like, you know, my dad has gone through that transition, so he knows what it feel like feels like to not be on a team anymore, to have to find something new that interests you, find something new that gives you <laughs> income. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have to have a new job, um, you know, something that will sustain you um, and transitioning into regular life. So my parents throughout my whole life, especially as I started to take basketball really seriously, it always implement. It's very cliche, but true. It's like you know, basketball is what you do. It's not who you are. And they said that to you at a very young age. Yes. Like right. how old do you remember? Um, the earliest that you can remember them saying that to you. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm pr- probably twelve or thirteen. But just like you know, as I as I really started to take it seriously, they're like, "Look, man, this is you. You need to very much use basketball." Um, and don't let it use you. Like, just, you know, this is something you're going to put your time and effort into. It's going to, you know, hopefully become your job, and it did. But, um, you know, it's going to be over in no time. That's My dad used to always say that to me. He's like, it's going to be a very short period of your Only life. Only for 13 years. 13 years. And, but he's like, yo, man, I am so far removed from playing basketball. It's like it almost never happened. It's like, for you? Well, for him, oh, it's like, yeah. he ne- like he's so yeah. far from it. Like, he can't even taste it. Like, he is yeah. so – his last year was 1992. Because. That was, um, you know, shoot, almost 30 years ago. Yeah. And then from when he started, that was 43 years ago. So, you know, it's just like it's going gonna, it's gonna to go by quickly. You know, see, just like he said about college – you know, four years of college, when you're younger, like four years seems like a long period of time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I actually, I did three years, but so three years went by like that. And now it's been um, longer than two years since my last NBA game. And it feels like recent, you know, like, but it's gone by. It's, it feels recent, but it was so long ago. Yeah, it's long ago. Two years is a long time, but it just, it just goes by like that. Do you remember that phone call with your dad or your parents after you tore your Achilles? Uh, he's the first person I called. He was the first person I called. I was on the training table, like in pain. And I, we had just got off the phone, like, shoot, like 10 hours before, you know, before I had gone to sleep. And I called him and I was like, yo, I think I tore my Achilles. He was like, what? <laughs> you know, I, he's, Did you swear? <laughs> he, he probably, <laughs> but he, he said that he's like, he's like, man, when you told me that he's like, man, it was like, a. a Somebody had like shot me, man. Like he, he was, he was, you know, because it was like a, obviously a huge surprise to him. But he, because he knew too. He's like, man, it's not gonna be good. <laughs> but uh, you know, in the past, so it's been two years. The last game was April twelfth, I believe. So at this point in the time of taping, it's two and a half years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that you had mentioned in that, in that article that there's been some ups and downs in the last two years. But what, what's been the toughest part about making this this transition? Um, the t- one of the toughest things, you know, like I'm, I'm a – my wife would say I'm probably like a control freak a little bit. I like to be in control. Like, you know, when you're, you're playing, things are going good. Like you may have some injuries, but – you're still able to play. You know you're going to come back. You know you know you have a, um, a check coming in. Like life's good. Um, you know the having no control over the injury was like a tough thing for me. Like I felt like I had done everything I could do to get myself back ready to play, and then my Achilles like just just like that like ended my career. So I feel like I had no control over that. And even though I'm very faith-based and know that, you know, my plan for things is not how it's going to happen, uh, it's still tough to deal with sometimes sure. because I feel like I, I feel like I deserve to get back. You know, like I put, I put the time, I put the effort in, you know, I probably worked harder than I ever had in my whole career getting, trying to get back. And then it didn't work, it didn't go as planned. So that was tough to deal with, but then, you know, I, I I have the sense enough to know that that's not really how it works out. So how did how did um in terms of being I feel like a lot of athletes are kind of control freaks. You kind of mm-hmm. have to be because it's a very uncontrollable world. Mm-hmm. So you find bits and pieces in your game and training and preparation to control. So once the game and competition comes, you have some you have a routine to rely on, mm-hmm. but. Um, how did, I'm curious how you coped with that part, the uncontrollable aspect of this injury and this, this career ending aspect, because I know for a lot of athletes, it would morph into obviously grief when it comes to the end of a career, you know, whether it's like sadness or anger or frustration. I've talked to athletes, they say that, um, it, it came out as anger, and so yeah. it affected a lot of their relationships. Other people resort to, um, you know, partying, drugs, eating. For me, I use food as a coping mechanism. Really? I did, yeah. Um, I um, were starving myself, actually. That was my way of – it was an eating disorder that really, like, spanned over 10 years. Really? And that was my, my way of coping with it. And food, you know, it's funny, like – Started when I was 18, and the first time it popped up was because of an injury. That was a moment when tennis was, for the first time, taken out of my life. I suffered two stress fractures right before I was, right as I was, I was being recruited. And um, I realized that food was a way for me to control in my, control something in my life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my parents, being of an older generation, they don't understand a lot about just like, emotions or psychology mm-hmm. just they didn't know how to handle it and mm-hmm. my parents even we've talked about it extensively um but even my parents thought that in the beginning they're not like oh she just wants to be skinny right but 
it's not. It was just, and then my issues completely turned a corner once I graduated from school. Mm-hmm. Like on the surface, I was fine. I was like right. delving into TV and, you know, um, I was moving along. I got a job in Miami, moved over to ESPN and stuff. But like right. deep down, I was still struggling with my identity and having to give up that part. Yeah. I was ha- unhappy about how it ended. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about like what did you do with that control and how did it manifest itself? Um, I kind of I let it go. You, you know? just let it go. It didn't let go it anywhere. Go. It, it didn't come to the surface in any way. Well, my wife would probably say like I get a little moody sometimes, or like you know, I pr- <laughs> a lot of it. You know that can that it wasn't as much anger. Like what you miss is like the competitiveness of playing. So like I take a lot of it out on the golf course. Just like mm-hmm. I love I love playing like against guys that are around my kind of level, skill level, so we can like really duke it out. Like we can go out there and play. You know, we're not gonna bump be bumping each other and yeah. running through screens and like I'm not doing all that. But yeah, you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I I very much just let it go. You you have to realize that you don't have any control over it. And that number one, if I it was it wasn't gonna last forever. Basketball is like if I would have had an ideal career, like even still, what do you play? Thirteen years, fourteen years? That's a ton of years in the NBA. Right. The average is like three, four years. So I did the average and some. Um double the average and some. Yeah. So um you can't, you know, you, you just got to move on with life. And that's how, that's how I, I feel about it, you know. But it took, when it was a reality, when it was an actual reality, I had already looked at it as a reality before then because I could see it, I could I could kind of see it happening. When I signed with Philly the summer before, they offered me a um, two-year deal, really – it was a one-year deal, 10, 10, 10 million guaranteed, okay? But it was – if they wanted to pick me up on a second year, I get another $9 million. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. But – um, I know they waived you right before that. Right. Well, right before the second year. The second year. year. Right? But that was always a possibility. But, you know, I had some offers uh, from some other teams for about, like, half of that. And – um I said to my dad, I was, you know, in Philly, it was for some, these were some good teams. And, um, you know, I was, t- I was talking to my dad and my parents. I was like, so just full transparency is my agent too, Jim Tanner. Um, I don't know how much longer I'm going to play. Like I really don't. So mm-hmm. like, I don't see the point in signing for less money on a good team mm-hmm. and, you know, than doing this whole process over next summer when my hip's just going to be worse. You know, I need to uh, really at this point take take the best contract and, um, you know, we'll see where we're at next summer. I may never see this amount of money again. You know, this is strictly business decision. I may never see this again based off of how I feel. This may be the pinnacle. So I'm not going to mess around <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the difference, you know, nine million as opposed to four or five million, which still obviously would have been right. great. You want to get everything that you can, right? Do. I want to get everything that I can because I just don't know what the future is going to look like, mm-hmm. and it turned out exactly how I thought it would. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was probably the, you know, one of the better decisions that that I've made, and you know, just because I and that's that was straight off the field. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. You got lucky, but it was also a, a rational and practical decision. Right, too. right. Um, have, you, have you been through an adjustment period, even though you haven't played basketball, you know, or played in a game for two plus years, um, you were still rehabbing mm-hmm. and training. Was there an adjustment period where all of a sudden you went from playing and training and being an athlete to just like, now you're the, you're a full-time dad. Mm-hmm. And you're you're taking them to gymnastics and yeah. dropping them off at school and what am I doing now? Was I actually I I enjoy being a dad. I really do. 
like, um, you know, right. Having kids of your own and like being in a position to raise them is just like, it's an honor. It's a, it really is. It's a blessing because, um, you know, all, all kids don't grow up the same, but like, you know, to be able to have like your kids that are your own that you can shape and mold and teach them like the world, like it's cool. It's a cool experience. And then you watch them grow. Uh, I really enjoy it. So like, you know, whether it's taking them to school or taking them to gymnastics practice, um, just going outside on like the trampoline, you know, or watch or sitting there like when they're, you know, little ones trying to show me like, like your little, little doll set, <laughs> like what each of their name, like as much as like, I honestly don't care about it. Right. I care that she cares and like, you know, that's her little world. So it's like, you, you, you know, you love it. I love it. And, um, you know, that what's the coolest thing. And it's like cliche, like you see it growing up or at movies or you hear people say it, it's like the coolest thing is walking in the house and like your kids saying, daddy, daddy. It's like whoever in life, Besides your dog, like my dog yeah. is excited too to see me. But like, who else is that excited ever in life to see me? Nobody. Like ever. Not my spouse. <laughs> right, right, right. As, as much as they yeah. love you, like they're not going to give you that kind of reaction yeah, no, most of the time when they see you. So it's like, you know, that's a, that's a good feeling. It it's is a good feeling. Different. Um, gosh, this time time has flown. I can sit here. Uh, I think we've been going for like an hour and a half. Really? I could keep you longer. What do you say? I want to mention um, me and Neela are opening up a real estate firm. You so, are. Yeah, that's, that's a awesome. good transitional so, thing to talk about. I know that she does a lot of stuff in yeah. real estate, and both of your parents do mm-hmm. real estate. So tell me, what what are you guys going to do? Um, so real estate has always been an interest of mine, uh, not particularly being an agent, but just like – you know, you're rolling around the city of Charlotte. You can see construction everywhere. Um, stuff's just moving. Um, and so it's it's really always been interesting. My, my mom's uh, a real estate agent in Philly. She's been there for 20 years. She works, like, really closely with the Sixers and mm. has a great relationship with them ever since uh, my dad played there back in the, the late 80s. And uh, my dad has his real estate license and um, – you know, helps my mom out as, as much as, as much as she can, as much as he can. But um, my, my wife has her license here in Charlotte. She's been an agent for the last six years or so. And, um, you know, she's done well and wants to open up her own thing. And so we're opening up a, a business called Henderson Ventures. Awesome. And um, it'll be, you know, a, a real estate firm where she'll do her buying and selling and have her own team underneath her. But, uh, you know, I'll be more on the investment development side, um, you know, trying to find projects or get projects and pull investors in and, you know, see if people want to throw themselves into the, the real estate ring as well. So we're really exciting. looking forward to that. And when is when did this um, is it fully established? Um, actually, to, today we just got a just today. Um, what, what was that that we got? I can't remember. Yeah. Today, oh, is, I don't have my phone. That's time right. of our dating uh, of our of this date is October 9th. So I think I think we are ready in a week or so to be an official business. We got That's something great. today in my wife's me, which I can't remember what it was. So is this all residential properties or is it no? It'd be residential property? and commercial. Both residential yeah. and commercial. Yeah. So it's um it's the right it's the perfect time for it, and it's really she's she's the uh, she's the the real one behind it because I love real estate and stuff but she's in it every single day with um with her career mm-hmm. and you know she has a uh, a uh sorry i'm blanking out right now. Uh, she, she has a um staging and interior design company mm-hmm. called stage of designs here in charlotte so it like it works hand in hand they work hand in hand with each other so she can sell your house but then also stage it well to you know attract buyers to it so mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's kind of awesome. that's kind of her world. So I'm there to assist in the best way possible. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. A um, couple more questions because I know we're, we're I'm gonna, I don't want to keep you here longer. Or I do. No, but it's fine. Otherwise, <laughs> it's fine. Um, for athletes that are trying to make this turn 
and leave Swore behind and trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you have for them? What helped you um, in terms of finding some clarity with regards to the next steps? Um, you know, I, I think I got some really good advice from a buddy of mine named Rick Elias, who's, um, you know, CEO of Red Ventures. And it's been a good buddy of mine for ever since I've been here in Charlotte. He comes to all the games. Um, he's like, man, he's like, you, you had a lot of talent um, in basketball, but just like all around. And don't write anything down in pen. Like write everything down in pencil. Theoretically, uh, don't say I'm going to do this right away or I'm going to do that right away. You know, give yourself some time to really find what is it that you have a passion for. Not something that you want to do, but like something that you actually love to do and have a, a real passion for because that's going to carry you. Just like if I had a, a passion for basketball, that carried me for as long as it did, and I would have played longer had my health not gotten away. Um, but, you know, if you, you're transitioning, like, you don't have to make any decisions right away, unless, like, financially that's something that you need to do. Um, you know, take your time and find out what it is. And for me, uh, it'll be the real estate stuff. I have a real passion for, for, for the real estate game. Um, really, I, I have a real passion for golf. Right. We talked about that. And I love the game. I love playing it. I love competing. So, you know, for me, I'm going to see how good of a amateur golfer I can be. I'm going to sign myself up next summer for all the amateur tournaments um, and see how well I do. Your body can handle it. My body can handle it right now. And I've, <laughs> I've been working out. It's, you know, it's keeping it tight. It's, it's, it's so much better to be able to play a sport and not have to like after every time you play, like feel like hell. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just I, that, that would be my advice. Don't, if you don't have to, don't make any commitments to things right away because, you know, you, you put yourself in a position where you're doing something that you really don't want to be doing, you know, because you're trying to stay busy or because it, the opportunity presented itself, you know, now you're stuck doing something that's not going to fulfill you. So, you know, just write a whole bunch of stuff down on paper, dibble and dabble until you you got some time to really think about what it is that you want to uh, be doing every day. That's good advice because I think we, we live in a culture where it's extremely fast paced mm -hmm. and it's society society that wants people to know exactly where they're going to go and mm -hmm. make quick decisions and go after it. Um, and then last question, if... Uh, I love the letters that athletes write to their younger self. Mm -hmm. So if you had to, if eight-year-old Gerald was sitting right there, a little boy who mm -hmm. had just started basketball and had no idea what he was embarking on, what kinds of things would you say, John, about the journey that, that lays ahead of him? Um, you know, I, from when I was eight years old, you know, probably till teens or so. So from teens to when I finished playing, like I was all in and worked really hard. I can't, it, it would be hard for me to say that I could have worked harder. You know, it, maybe you could have, you know, if you done things a little differently, but I'm very satisfied with the workload that I put in. Right. But what I would have tell my eight year old self was like, enjoy it. Like making like, Really make sure you take it all in. You know, it's a blessing to be doing that. Like when I was at Duke, um, I didn't make hardly any friends that weren't basketball players. Like I got a few of them, even only a couple that I really still talk to now to this day. But I would have actually threw myself more into the school than I did. When I went back to get my degree for, um, I took two summers to do it. I, I had a completely different perspective on the entire school. Like I, I was sitting there and wow, some of these 18, 19 year old kids from all these different places in the world, the campus, which I never saw it like that when I was there. Like I really wish I had 
the regular student experience, even though the basketball player experience is like no other. But I was on a one-track mind to do really well there and get to the NBA. So, you know, you kind of... It's hard to do both. Yeah, you have your body. It's it's hard to do both. But, um, you know, because if... You know, maybe if I throw myself into the school more than maybe I don't do as well on the basketball court. Like it's hard, you know, and you, when you're 18, you're, you're focused on, on, on one thing, but I, w- I would tell myself, man, really enjoy it. If I, if I knew going into the NBA that I was only going to play eight years, I would have, um, I would have sat and just kind of enjoyed it a little bit more, like really, sat and been like, you know what, man, this is pretty cool what I'm doing here. Um, Nothing would have changed in terms of like my workload or anything, but just kind of took it all in and, you know, a little better than I did instead of just having my head down. You know, I probably would have built some more relationships with, with um, people around the team, season ticket holders. I, I did that a lot here in Charlotte. I have a lot of friends from, um, from playing, I would have done it even more though, you know, built more relationships because now and you, I used to hear it from people all the time. Uh, I know this is a really long answer. No, but. no, I like it though, because <laughs> I think a lot of people share that same sentiment because, um, I know my, my Duke experience was awesome and mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything in the world. And the Duke family, as mm-hmm. you and I know, is like, in my opinion, one of the best in the world Mm -hmm. and it's unshakable, but I have my blinders on. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't invest in relationships. I did not throw myself into the regular student body. Like you were talking about because that level of expectation of not just being a D one student athlete, but like there's something about playing for Duke where you're the level of responsibility on your shoulders. And this is for, for tennis where we were, we were good. We were, a top five program every year that I was there, but it was nowhere near the type of pressure that you guys face as a basketball team. So I understand what you're talking about, but you were saying invest in the relationships. Yeah, just the the relationships, like I would have done it even more because now I'm at a point in life where, you know, with business, a lot of business, most of business is the relationships that you do have. You don't, have a successful business if you don't know people. Um, you don't have a really successful business if you don't have if you don't know people that are high up in the business that you're in. You know, you got to be able to um, communicate with people and um, invite them places or play golf with them. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta put yourself out there like that because if you don't, then you know, who's going to buy your product? Who's going to let you sell their house? Who's going to want to do business with you if you're not a person that they can communicate and talk to or even know to begin with? So, um, you know, I would have done, I probably would have done more of that, but you you don't, you don't know about that life until you're kind of in it now. And I see it now and I'm happy I built the relationships that I did, but I would have done it even more. Yeah, because as an athlete, you have to be selfish. Yeah. You have to, that's, you that's what's required to be a really good athlete. Um, Gerald, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And um, I know that was a very long conversation, but I appreciate you opening up and sharing everything, your story. No, it's good. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed that. So much valuable insight from Gerald. I think my two favorite points he made in this portion of the conversation was number one, You don't have to make any commitments. If you are in the process of making a big transition or are embarking on this new chapter in your life, take the time to explore and figure out where you want to go. I think we live in a society that encourages this premature commitment and just doesn't give people the space or freedom to not only explore, but change their minds along the way. I mean, look at me. I'm making a career change towards the field of psychology after an 18-year sports broadcasting career. And I'm back in graduate school in my early 40s. Like, It's okay to have all these different chapters in your life. And number two, the second point I loved is the parenting advice Gerald offered about kids needing to learn how to have fun and love playing the game 
first before they get serious about it. And I think that's a huge problem when it comes to premature sports selection and early specialization in youth sports where kids, or I should say parents, parents have their kids commit to just one sport by seven or eight years old. It's like putting the cart before the horse in the sense that there needs to be this foundation of genuine love and passion first and before they commit to the game. Otherwise, as Gerald pointed out, that relationship just isn't going to last. A kid is going to fizzle out early. And we see that happen all the time in youth sports. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gerald and took something away from it like I did. If you have any thoughts or comments, as always, hit me up at prim underscore Rookpad on all my social media platforms. The next chapter with Prim's Rookpad is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.